Hello, hey, and welcome to Ask the Color Expert. My name is Elaine Travis. I am a career hair colorist, independent educator, and author of the book, A Colorful Journey. I'm here every week sharing tips, tricks, and stories that are all things hair color. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. This podcast is brought to you by Vish, a complete color management system designed by colorists for colorists, helping salons to eliminate waste, ensure consistent color and pricing, track inventory, and maximize profit. To learn more about Vish, simply text in all capitals, get Vish with no space, G-E-T-V-I-S-H, to the number 44222 for more information. Hello and welcome back. On this episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with a fellow salon owner and hairstylist. Her name is Julia Shiflett. She is in Virginia and the name of her salon is Tangles. So welcome, Julia. Thank you so much for taking this time out of your busy schedule to um, be an interview on my podcast. How are you? Hi, good. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So tell the listeners what your journey has been like in the hair industry. Obviously, you own a salon and um, you know, share with us how long have you owned your salon? How long have you been licensed and what has your journey been like up until this point? So I've been in the industry for 32 years um, and I just recently bought my salon back in August last year. Got three wonderful girls that was with the previous owner. They're a great group of girls, um, very dedicated and loyal. Actually grew up with two of them in my area. And the journey has been amazing in my industry because we are we're entrepreneurs of just creativity, inspiration. I try every day. Sometimes I drive my employees nuts because I try to be inspired all the time. So, <laughs> and even though if we have stressful days, I still try to be inspired. I hear you. That's, it's hard to do too. So that's definitely a gift. Now you have been in the industry 32 years and up until recently you were not an owner. What has that transition been like? Because for me, it's the opposite transition. You know, I, I did own a salon for 30 years and now I'm not in the salon. So I'm transitioning the opposite way. So for you, I imagine it's been quite a, uh, an adjustment to say the least. My biggest adjustments was being that when I worked for others, the payroll I had to learn, you know, all the, the business perspective of building the salon, your license, your insurance, your your advertisement, while I still perform behind the chair. So, because I like to tell people, don't I'm not the owner. I work with my girls, so I'm an employee as well of Tangles. So, the challenge is getting your schedule to match up with what you have to do, and manage time management. You know, changing my time management. So how many days are you actually behind the chair versus being able to work on the business? So I am, my salon's open Tuesday through Saturday. And what I do is, well, with the time management schedule struggles was to learn how to block out times each day, focus on what the salon needs. That's, you know, so I'll block out times for banking calls. You know, I'm trying to work on that as we speak because I was a double booker. Um, mm -hmm. So I had to learn how to 
change those time zones. So I spend Tuesday through Friday in my salon and I only work Saturdays if I'm doing a wedding. And then I try and devote my downtime at home in my office to work on what the salon needs. So 24-7, basically, as the, t- the typical owner. What is your uh, pay structure? Are you still commission? Are you booth rent? Are you 1099? Like, what is, what is your, there's so much change where that is headed in the industry. So I'm always curious what people's setup is. So my girls are commissioned as well as myself. So I choose to pay myself, you know, commission as well. And everything else for the salon goes towards the salon. I do like commission, but there are struggles with commission, as you may know. But I try to to be very fair owner and give them, you know, more percentage because, you know, they need they need to provide for themselves just as well as myself. So I tried to my best as a new owner to look at it as a whole. This is an effort together for all of us to seek the same thing. That's nice. And it's also really difficult in this um, financial atmosphere that we're in. You know, owners, I was the same way. And exactly to your point of you felt like you worked with them. They didn't work for you. I really struggled when they called me their boss. You know, it always bothered me because I felt the same way. I was in the trenches every day behind the chair doing the things. And what's really hard is, I'm sure, and you don't have to get into it because it's nobody's business, but I would venture to guess that you're overpaying your staff because you feel that way, because you feel like you're one of them and you're all equal. And basically all of the stress, all of the headaches, all the extra work falls on you. And that's what started to happen with me. And, And that's why I now educate full time and I'm not behind the chair because I couldn't take away anything from my staff, but the landscape has gotten harder and hard. The price of color is astronomical. You know, are you to everything just keeps going up and up and up and you get to a point where the guest is like, how many more times are you going to raise the price of my cert? You know, you can't keep putting it on the guest. And then you have the staff that you of course want them to have a minimum of a cost of living increase every year. And it starts to get to the point where your employees end up bringing home more than you do. You know, we end up paying ourselves last. We end up putting, as you said, everything extra back into the business. So it almost has become almost like a a co-op situation, but you're not getting as many benefits as the other members of the co-op. So I just see a lot of change coming and I feel like there's going to be different situations where maybe five years from now you say to the people that are now working with you, you know, hey, we've been in in this all together from the beginning. I've just been doing more than you have. So let's just all split this three ways or however many, you know, people are there where it is more fair, you know, and and I kind of like that because there's been this whole, you know, they say it's lonely at the top and I agree, you know, sometimes when you're in the position of authority and you have to make difficult decisions, you're not always the most popular person in the salon. But yet, if you get super lax and, and say, oh, everybody just show up dressed however you want, make your own hours, this is such a great place to work, and you make it too loose, then you have other issues down the road. 
So yeah, that's, that's difficult. So do you have a certain um, brand that you're tied with? Like, do you have, you know, place all your orders with one distributor? Are you kind of, I, I call myself a cherry picker. I order this from this manufacturer and this color I like for blondes and this one I happen to like for redheads and I don't get any perks as far as any type of rewards. So that would have helped really for the bottom line. Um, right. But what is your what is your system like? Are you brand so loyal? Or I, are you kind of the great thing that I did during my time behind the chair is I took a a position as a manager in salon centric to utilize my college degree in in, in management. Um, mm. And so I took a four year break to be a manager and help with those stores. So I can understand that side of the industry because it connected to ours very dearly. That truly. Uh, amazing experience. So now I choose salon centric Cosmoprof and Twin State because of the types of materials I use and then go from there as far as it's kind of like you said, it's cherry picking, but I want to be, I'm an inventory nut. I, I have OCD. I feel like if your room is completely organized and you put it back in the spot you found it, it makes it easier on the owner to make sure you're not wasting money. Mm. Because you know, color can be one of our biggest waste and our hugest expense. So, you know, I keep everything. I, when I bought the salon, I asked the girls about their journey and where they would like to go forward. Were they willing to make changes with me as we grow together as new ownership and staff? So I, being that I've worked in those stores, I knew all their policies, how things worked. I recycled the money into a smaller color line. And I, I really, truly stress this to a lot of owners is just teach your staff the mixing and don't waste because you can always get more if you need it. Absolutely. So, and actually my, this podcast you're being interviewed for is newly sponsored by a company called Vish. And I just interviewed um, my daughter took over my hair salon and we instituted the Vish system before I left the salon because my daughter's not a hairdresser. So she needed a system to really help her with inventory management. Now you own the salon, you're a colorist, you also worked at Salon Centric, you know, you know what numbers and levels and all of that stuff and you know what are more popular than the others the reporting in this system is so spot on that we have reduced our inventory costs massively you know i was ordering by emotion i'm like oh 12 of these you know the the sales rep would come in and i would be in the middle of a client so i would just shout across the room you know six seven n you know all the popular colors and i would just shout it out and then i would get it and be like what the heck did i do this for we have eight of those on the shelf so i think it can be a very emotional purchase so absolutely i agree whatever system that you can have in place you know we used to do the or we still do uh when a shade is open we put it back in the box and then we flip the one um, little tab on the lid out to show that that's open and we put it on top so that the next right. person takes the open tube. I've seen, I teach in salons and I'm like, oh my gosh, like there are, there's like five open tubes of 6N with the same amount left in them. And it just makes me scratch my head. And I'm just like, <laughs> how do these owners make any profit whatsoever? I've seen tons of waste in salons as I've worked through the years. And, um, you know, I like, I tried my best, you know, while the staff, I asked them to be on board with me. And the reason why, and I explained to them, I make them involved as management of that material. 
I want them to know this is why this, this, if we do this, we will help our salon do this, this, and this. So as a salon owner to encourage them, um, you actually, my one employee loves you to pieces and going forward with them is to encourage them for more. So I was so excited that as a new salon owner, I was actually, which, you know, things are changing as we speak, but I was able to help them purchase their trip to Florida for premiere. Ah, nice. Out of them being productive enough for the salon to reserve money for special, fun, exciting months. And I try and keep them inspired that way as keeping up with the routine. If we do this, this, and this, I'll be able to do this, this, and this for you. Nice. So I paid for all their tickets and kind of inspired them in other ways on their retail and their other things. So the employees, they get to, to enjoy that giving back to them and they're giving it back to me. They're teaming up with me because they, they like it. They respect it. That's amazing. Now I know for us, we were never really awesome at retail to begin with. Uh We were, we hovered at around, if we had a good year, it was about 10% of retail Uh to service. And we had done the summit system, which in order to get a price increase and a commission raise, you needed to always be at 15% retail to service. So we were always falling short. And then the whole Amazon thing happened. And, you know, we're all quick to blame Amazon, but maybe we're not providing the, the type of products our clients want, or maybe we need to do more promotions. I don't know. But I was very defeated by it. By the time I left the salon, I said to my daughter, good luck, sell, don't sell, do whatever you want. We actually took on, um, a private label line that's the name of our salon because I thought for once they can only get it with us. You know, we even had clients that moved out of state that would reach out over the phone and say, can you ship me that product? Cause I love it. So that was a beautiful thing, but short of doing that, it really can be frustrating. But I think with you having that salon centric background, is there anything that you can speak to as far as something that smaller salons can do to compete with, you know, something that really fires me up is when professional stylists share their professional license with friends and say, go shopping at Salon Centric. I see it every time I'm in there. So I can't tell you how many times I was actually cursed out for running oh. my store at refusing it. So I got a lot of grief for it, but you know, I tried my best to practice the same rule myself because I think of my own license. So that's why I didn't have no troubles turning people away from my store. I highly suggest, you know, don't, don't, it's hard enough as is people, you know, we, we, we complain that we don't know how to sell it. We don't want to feel like we're bringing sellers. We don't feel like we want to be pushed in the salon, but at the same time, and you love what you do, which we all gratefully have a great passion. And that's why we're here. So remember and remind yourself of why you have that passion. Share with your families, yes. Share with your daughter, yes. But don't take her up in the store and let her supply herself with everything in the chain. That's not acceptable. Pick up those things for her. Make her respect that boundary that you have to respect as a licensed owner. That's, I mean, I'm not perfect by far, but I highly encourage, you know, because we all struggle our retail world because of everything else that's coming upon us. And we, we try and protect our industry as it, at its best. So, you know, like Tabitha Coffees, you know, she's always saying, you know, own your structure, you know, don't let anybody whittle that down. So I admire her for that. 
So you are I the see, hairdresser. There's such bold discussions on, you know, in my weekly coffee chat, everyone, you know, hears me over and over again saying, oh my gosh, I just saw this in one of the forums. There's always something that gets my blood boiling on there. And one of them is people saying right in the feed, oh girl, I got you. Don't worry. You know, we're going to go to the store and I'm going to help you pick up everything you need at my cost. Like they say it right in writing on a Facebook forum as well as, and come over to my house. I'm going to do your hair at home. And it's, it's almost like a free for all now, you know, we paid, you know, beauty school now is up to $22,000 a year to get that training and to get that license. And we would never do that to a doctor or a lawyer or any, any other profession. We would never ask someone to give us their professional discount or take us shopping in their professional only space, you know? So I, it just really saddens me that, you know, we want to be respected as hairstylists and we want to level up the industry and not be considered, you know, people that couldn't go, like to your point, you said, when I finished college, there's so many hairdressers that have college degrees but they also had the love and passion for the artistic side of the beauty industry. So we're not gum chomping airhead, you know, it's not like beauty school dropout in Greece where, you know, it's the only thing you could do because you didn't have the brains to pass the test and do something else. So by doing those things, you know, here's my card, go and get whatever you want and pick yourself up some color and do your color yourself or, or I'll be in the aisle and I'll hear someone talking about teaching someone at home. And sometimes, this isn't you, but sometimes I've heard the store employee helping a person who's not a hairstylist pick out color to then do at home. And I'm just like, what is going on? <laughs> yes, so I know. We, we went through, when I was hired at Salon Centric, we went through all the transition of Salon Centric, creating it across the board and combining all the stores they had bought. So, you know, the policies got stricter and stricter and stricter. And I loved it because I was like, you know, this is the, this is the way it is. I mean, people don't like rules. You you already can tell that, you know, um, they don't. And I get it. But when it came to my job, I had to keep my job. So I had to follow those rules. So I'm going to protect my job by making the rules official. That doesn't make me lack of love and passion for people. It just, I stuck behind what I worked so hard to get. Does it sound selfish to some people? Maybe so, but at the same time, you're just protecting yourself of what you've invested in. And and I highly encourage hairdressers to think about what you've invested in because we are beautiful industry and those privileges to us, having that luxury of buying that stuff and, and we know what we're charging for when we do sell it. I, I, I take it as a reward. I take it as a gift. And, and this is something that, me as an owner and a hairdresser, people say, you charge your family. The only person I don't charge is my mother. And my sister, my nieces, everybody comes to my son. I give them a discount, but I don't give what is called everybody else's discount. I charge my siblings anywhere from 65 and over, you know, $65 and over. I love Fair that. Enough. And I, I did it after giving everything away free my whole entire career about three years ago, I finally sat down and did the math. And, you know, my sister, 
my sister-in-law, my nieces, like the whole, when you add up everybody and they all came during work hours, it wasn't like we went in on a Sunday. That's different. You know what I mean? If you're going on your day off, totally different, but they would see other uh, stylists in my salon. I'm a colorist. So they would see me for color and then they would go to somebody else for a cut. Well, I have to pay that stylist. I can't expect them to do my family free. So a couple of years ago, I just said, you know, I love you all and thank you for your support of, you know, being my practice dummy because we all start out on our family and we appreciate mm-hmm. that. But again, same thing. I said, other than my own mother, I just have to, there's too many people and it, it, I forget what the number was, but it was insane. The amount of money over a year that was lost income. And that's, you know, I did it for 28 out of the 33 years that I did air, you know? Right. Exactly. You're taking away your potential, you know, your family loves you. They want to be the best of support for you. So there should be no problem with adjusting the price for them, but don't adjust it so low because they are your loved ones. They want to support you too. And you want them to be inspired to support you, you know, support you. So, you know, that's not, there's nothing wrong with asking out of the whole situation from your retail, from your salon, your overhead, you got to think about every little cost that you put at risk. So if you keep continuing to do mounds of your family at a discounted price, you sacrifice your salon as an owner. owner. So it's very, there's all those little things that I had to sit down and write on a list, color, cost. Okay. This, you know, um, once I watched how our routine on our salon went, that's how I, I come up with my numbers of how much I keep and how often I restock it. So I don't restock every week. I don't have to, but I rotate my week. So I do one company and then the other. Oh, that's so. good. So it's not overwhelming. Yeah. I hate it inventory. That was like my least, I mean, well, you look working at salon centric. That was basically your job every day. I can't even, ima- I, I give mad props to the people in those stores because I've been in the back room of those stores to use the restroom <laughs> and you see the mounds of like box after box after box and just counting and double checking and scanning and, you know, returns and, ugh, I could go on and on. But on that note, when you were in the, were you in the stores or were you more behind the scenes and more management? So I was, I, I managed a store, but they, I was one of their mentor managers. So they sent me up and down to get the new stores to the new policies, they sent me out to train new, the the managers to how to to rechange their thinking style. Because my store won a lot of awards. Because coming out from behind that chair and going into inventory, I also had to learn how to do that. So I became one of their mentors for the companies to go around to each store and help those managers learn my style. Because they were like, "How did this little store go nice. from point A to point B?" And I, and, and, and it was challenging for me. It was, it was a nice setup challenge. And that, I think that's what I like is that challenge. You can't tell me I'm going to make this when I want to make it into this. So. That's amazing. Now, did you find when you were in the store that I know for myself, every time I've ever been in one of the locations, there's somebody looking very confused, you know, the furrowed brow, the like squinty face looking at the boxes. And I can just see that they are not sure about what color to choose. How do you think, what was your perception as seeing people on a regular basis of the knowledge of color? Do you think there's lots of room for people to be more educated? Do you think there's a lot of Hail Mary guessing and and like 
easy, safe formulas? You see the same shades going out the door every single day. Like what was the, so the, the biggest that struggle that I'm, the biggest struggle that I've seen in people and I've, you know, is the hairdressers, the ones that get comfortable, the only know how scared to jump out of the box, the ones that are too careless, they want to try everything under the sun. And then you've got the ones like yourself and I were educators that we want to create a structure to keep you on a good balance and a thinking balance to be able to create what you do. So when they come in and they were confused, it was sad because it's like, so I would usually when I was in a store, I would approach and be like, you know, can I help you with something? If you don't, you know, just I'm over here if you need me. But sometimes they'd be like, no, I'm good. And then they would be like, you know what? Hold up. You know, and I would try and intrigue them to give me feedback so I could help them with their confused faces. I find that in my industry, we don't, we lack in our consultations because we get comfortable. Those mm-hmm. are the people that bought that comfortable color. Well, Susie Q is only going to want this color this mm-hmm. time. We just automatically jump into a Zoom mode. And one of the biggest things that my educator taught me learning in when I first got into cosmetology was every time your client gets in that chair, and even though we keep records of it, pretend you don't have that color. I it agree, is a 100%. brand new client. Yeah. And then the number two thing that I've learned in every educational event I've been up and down this East Coast and to the West was they always say, why do we lose clients? And trust me, I'm not perfect, you know, but the biggest reason why we lose clients is why? Because we wasn't willing to change and we weren't creative and they were getting just across the board. Yeah, they were bored and they didn't feel paid attention to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I have to try my best to practice it every day. So the first thing I do is I don't keep client card stuff. I'm not OCD with that. And I'll tell you why. Because what they choose to do from the time they leave you till that next appointment changes everything about their hair color regardless. Absolutely. It's almost like a a corrective service every visit because you have all the elements, you have the minerals, you have sun, heat. If they use colored shampoos too rigorously and too often, you'll have staining, intermittent staining with like the purple shampoos or a red deposit shampoo or conditioner. So yeah, I 100% agree. And I think to your point that, you know, if you went into any salon anywhere right now and in a surprise visit, you would see either in the computer or on a written card, same as above, same as above, same as above, same as above. Right. I think people are just so happy that the client's happy that they don't want to turn their brain on and think of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just do the same thing and, and keep them happy. What about, uh, do you feel like you have any type of service that you're kind of known for you as the individual behind the chair, not your salon? Is there something that people say, Oh, definitely see Julia. She does X, Y, Z. Great. So I love, uh, color is my biggest passion, but my Bob's haircuts are my other passion. So, and then the third thing would be my wedding specialties. So, um, now that to me is a nightmare wedding. So God bless. I stopped doing those about 15 years ago. I always say I I have to apologize to all the brides whose hair I did because it was so bad (laughs) because I really do agree that when there's no passion behind something, you know, I can go through the motions and I can get an an updo done right now, but I 
really dislike doing it. I mean, there's no passion whatsoever. And I just don't have that creative juice for that. Thank God I was able to choose the specialty and stay in my lane and do what I love and do best. I mean, I'm so excited that that was an option. I, the first 15 years of my career, I didn't know you could just do one thing. You know, I just kind of did what everybody else does. I got out of school and I did waxing and makeup and little kids and updos and all of those things. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, you couldn't pay me to do 90% of those things. Um, But it's nice. I love that you said the bob because a really kick-ass bob is an awesome haircut. Like there's a lot of bad bobs out there, but when they're done right now, what was your training for your, like, are you Vidal Sassoon background? Where, where was your foundation for bobs? Cause that's like a talent. So there was this, I cannot remember for the life of me. I went to a hair show in DC area way back. It was 93, 94. And there's this lady named Dixie from the Atlanta area. And Dixie was, she was bought to the hair show because she was very, she did updo styling. She did bob haircuts with, with uh, clippers. And mm. oh my gosh, I, I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to cut that entire bob with clippers. How in the world? And she did it like, it was just like, boom. And you were like, this woman is amazing. That is so, amazing. At the end of the hair show, she had private classes for people that you could pay to her, go to her salons in Atlanta and learn her techniques, not being afraid to use clippers because clippers are not just for men's cuts. I'm still Uh, afraid of clippers 33 years later. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I remember the first time when somebody saw me pull them clippers out and cut a woman's bob and I cut six inches off, she's like... (gasps) You know, That's and amazing. I, was like, I would love to see that. I, I need you to do a uh, video for me and, and put it in my I'll membership. I'll do one. I'll, yeah, I'll I would love one. that. Cool. Yeah, because I do all my bobs with uh, my cordless clippers. I love them. So do you them. go in and, and tweak it with the scissors after or is the entire thing all clippers? No, I go in at the final finish on the dried, out, the dried bob and everything. And it also depends on if I'm going to choose to cut that bob dry. And the key point to that is, because I don't want to miss out on my shampoo experience, getting the hair where I need it to be. So I start with the shampoo, and then I will style their hair at that point, and then I will cut that bob. And the reason why I choose to shampoo and blow dry it is to get any of the minerals, buildups, hairsprays, and and all the stubborn curves out of the hair. So I can do a clean cut. That's true. Yeah. If there's any wave or anything, that makes total sense. Yeah, so that way you've got that sleekness. And then I go in and do your uh, texture points to keep it from being bulky at the bottom so it has that sleek line to it. So Nice. It I'm is, very intrigued. I, I need more. I need more. Do you remember Yosh? I think his last name was like Yosh Toya or something. He was a really tiny little Asian man. The, yeah, the little Asian guy. He was he like used to, he, he used to do the bob in like three cuts. It was like yeah. boom, 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 and it boom. was so beveled and beautiful. I used to stand back with my mouth hanging open watching. I could watch him do bobs all day long. I don't. I don't he I'm would, sure he's he would around. freak me out because he when he would texture point cut, he would just go to town, and he was so. Fast, you were fast. Like, how does he not eat his entire finger? <laughs> exactly, and the client's ear and her eyebrow and everything else. Yes, yeah, that yes. was amazing. And you know, I'm I'm happy to talk about this because hair shows. I teach at the hair shows, and that was always my dream from the time I walked into my first show at the IBS in New York. I was like, I am going to be on that stage someday. I I just got so excited about it. 
And it's really so different now. There isn't that heart racing watching Dixie or that passionate, you know, watching Yosh do a Bob. It's, it's so different. It's so salesy and branded and pushy with like one person's full out. It's not art anymore and it's not passion anymore. It's sales driven. And it's sad because I used to, I would put a show on my calendar and I was like a little kid waiting for Christmas morning. I mean, you could not keep me away from it. And the last few that I went to, I have a badge. I can go in and out of any class day the whole entire time. And every time I wandered around, I was like, get me out of here. I want to go back to my hotel. It was just people with those wheelie bags, just shoving it full of 86 different shampoos, conditioners, curling irons, and capes, you know? And I'm like, we can order that stuff from our computer at home. We don't need to go to a show to buy shampoo. It, I, I agree with you. Um, I still go and help out with the schools and the, the drive is nowhere near some of us professionals that are still trying to struggle to keep it alive. Um, so I usually, when I go into school, I'm like, so why are you in cosmetology? Are you in for the long haul? And they're like, I don't quite understand. I was like, well, <laughs> you know, work ethic is a lot different. It's not our phones. <laughs> 100%. So they don't teach them to starve for the creativity. Mm-hmm. So they're too Absolutely. technical. Yeah. Too I did. Technical. I did an interview with a girl who uh, she assisted for five years, but with someone in our industry that was a pioneer and is still amazing. And she said that five years with her was a gift. I was so prepared for anything that came down the pipe, you know, from in my chair because I watched someone for five years and now people are getting out and they're like, I'm not watching somebody. I'm getting my own suite right away. And they're, they're not getting how much soft skills are involved that it's not just about the doing the technique. It's greeting the client. It's earning their trust. It's eye contact, a firm handshake, you know, that trust factor can't be, you can't do without that. You have to have that client relaxed when they're in your chair. So I think that you know, technology has brought so many amazing things. I don't want to bash technology. That's my living right now. I teach online virtual education. So I'm so blessed that I can reach so many more people because it's online. But I think that people confuse, you know, watching three YouTube videos with having, you know, experience under a really strong mentor. So I hope that, I hope it takes a turn again and comes back to the, you know, mentor apprentice relationship like they have in Europe. I think they have such a strong, there's so many strong, talented hairstylists that come out of Europe because they don't have a choice. They have to be an apprentice for three years. So I think that's really what makes that difference. And I hope, I hope that, you know, our cosmetology state boards or whatever the powers may be kind of catch on to that and say, you know what, instead of charging $21,000 and having something sit in a classroom and learn from a book, let's let them learn from someone who is experienced like you and I, that's going to pour that passion and usable techniques in the actual salon setting as you're doing it in real life. Right. And, and the thing is, is we appreciate people like you that are continuing to keep us inspired through the the process of our technology, but our technology cannot, cannot do what we do as our craft. So we have to remind ourselves that technology, while we are, we're having this luxury to and share with others that we still have to create our craft. 
that's where it's in our hands. You know, um, that I always tell people, the only thing a hairdresser has to offer you in our profession, we can't cook you food, we can't provide you food, just, that's not our business. We have to offer you the touch of our hands and our minds to create what you ask for. Um, exactly. And to me, that's beautiful, you know. But we also need to remind ourselves that we have all this beautiful technology offered to us, like myself. I'm 48. I don't mind telling my age because I still take that passion that that is my, 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 that is me. That is my paycheck. That is, that is uh, not a, that is something that can be easily taken away. If I lost my hand, I can't do it. So I think about that a lot, you know. But, you know, like I said, you know, you, I, I hope and pray that you know, the be inspired. It's on the backs of my t-shirts that I printed for the girls. It's called be inspired. So well, keep doing what you do. I I love hearing your story. I love that you still have so much passion. I love that you're involved with beauty schools. I've struggled to visit beauty schools. They're not really open to free education. I'm, I'm still baffled by that, but I don't know what that's all about, but I try. I, I try to get my book in as many new students' hands as possible to give them that little bit of what's next when they're done school. So um, anytime you know of an opportunity where a school will be open to some free education, please send them my way. I would love to. I'm actually doing a, a virtual class on Monday for the school in Arizona, and I'm very excited about that. So I'm, I'm excited to, to do that anytime that I can. I'm so happy that I met you, and I loved hearing your story, and I hope you keep doing what you're doing, and thank you for spending this time with me out of your, your busy schedule. Thank you for having me. I really, really enjoyed it, and, and I will send you a video of the Bob. Awesome. I'm excited. I can't wait to share it. Thank you so much, Julia. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. Please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. For more information on hair color education, please visit my website, www.expertcolorsolutions.com. See you soon.